0: I'm Rose Skeeters, host of From Borderline to Beautiful, a show about hope and recovery for BPD. Hey everybody, welcome to a new episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. I'm really excited for today's episode. Today I have another recovery story. Her name is Alicia. Hey Alicia. Hello. Hi, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. stoked.
0: (laughs) Oh I'm so stoked to talk to you. So Alicia and I did not actually work together like some of the other recovery stories. Alicia why don't you tell us how you kind of came upon the
1: podcast and how you ended up here with me today first. Yeah um, I pretty much started with a diagnosis of BPD this year. Um, It was around April. So kind of when COVID was happening and there's not much you can do um, in a pandemic. (laughs) Not many (laughs) specialists you can kind of see and kind of work your way around that. So I was like, all right, um, what am I going to do? So I just went to the internet and I really like podcasts and I just typed up BPD and I saw your little pink little background. I was like, oh, it's pink. And then I clicked on it and then (laughs) here we are. (laughs) that's awesome okay cool um and so you listened
0: to it obviously and it really resonated with
1: you yeah absolutely I think something that you bring to the table is a very radical approach to recovery it's very focused on taking charge of your own life which I think is very very scary you don't beat around the bush you don't sugarcoat nothing you get straight to the Mm -hmm. point and I think that is (laughs) such a breath of fresh air something that in my personal experience I haven't really come across so that's what draws me to your podcast as well as you sharing your lived experience like when you share you know your experiences of a favorite person and when you describe like your definition of love, like in your BPD brain, I was like crawling into someone's skin. I was like, that's me. (laughs) (laughs) And like, I could just relate so much. So I really felt like I wasn't alone. And that was really special because you were on a podcast and I could, this sounds creepy, but (laughs) I could play you like wherever I was. And whenever I wasn't feeling good, doesn't matter if it was 2am or 2pm, you know, you were there Mm. and, it was it was really helpful
0: yeah no that's awesome it's not weird at all I mean (laughs) that's exactly what I set out to do well I'm really super stoked to have you on the show today because you now having gone through your own recovery with the podcast but also different treatment and a different perspective you can kind of bring all that together for everybody so let's start with Why don't you talk a little bit about um, when you were first diagnosed with borderline personality disorder?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So as previously mentioned, I was first diagnosed in April this year, so 2020, but I started to experience the signs and symptoms of BPD like seven or eight years ago. So I'm 21 now, so 77, eight years ago, you can kind of do the math. I was quite young. I just... Remember the emotional ups and downs and the extreme changes in mood feeling normal to me. Like, I remember growing up and asking, like, oh, hi, like, how's it going? And people would be like, oh, yeah, I'm just popping along. Like, I'm like, all right, cool. And then I would meet them like a week later. I'm like, oh, so like, how are you? And then they'd be like, yeah, I'm still bopping along. I'm like, what do you mean you're still bopping along? Like haven't you had like a crisis like on a Tuesday or like a Thursday? Like how are people just <laughs> like, like emotionally stable? I was just, like, "So that was so out of like touch for me. So yeah, those were my earliest kind of memories of it. But I knew something was really, really up like late 2018 when my first boyfriend and I split and I remember, Um... yes, (laughs) it was very similar to like when you were explaining your first heartbreak, it's, it's more than just heartbreak. Like it was like, like hysteria. Like I felt like I was losing my mind. I was beyond lost. Um, Absolutely just feeling, uh, it sounds a bit dramatic, but it's really how I felt. I really believe like there was no purpose in life completely just nothing left of me just a shell so in summary that was a little bit (laughs) long-winded April (laughs) 2020 but undiagnosed like seven or eight years ago
0: yeah yeah I mean it is it's not dramatic in the BPD mind because that is the entire goal of someone with BPD right it's to score a boyfriend or a partner yeah and then to like hold on to them so that's your purpose when that breakup happens man it's like your whole world is ripped from underneath you and shattered you have to become a new person or just latch on to somebody else
1: yeah (laughs) especially when you know they're your first boyfriend as well I think it really cuts super deep because that's when you start to put all your pieces of like, this is what a relationship should look like. And then I have all these fantasies and hopes and I watch princess movies and then they fall in love and happily, you know, all that sort of stuff. And then it comes crashing down and you break up and you're like, Oh my goodness. Like, what do I do now? And you're feeling all of these new feelings for the first time. Plus BPD, it just makes everything worse. And I think yeah. for me, because I didn't know I had BPD, it was just like, I feel crazy. But the worst part of that was, it's like, I don't know why I was feeling crazy. And then I felt okay. helpless. Yeah.
0: Like, you know, there's nothing you can do. And there's mm. no one that understands because people are like, after a couple of days, people are like, all right, you broke up with this person. Like, come on, let's go do something else. And you're yeah. like, no, no,
1: no. Yeah, that's it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. So why don't we talk a little bit about what it was like for you growing up and how this shaped the development of borderline personality disorder.
1: Mm. So I guess I just want to have a little PSA that I'm going to be talking about a lot of abuse that I experienced growing up. So if that, I guess, makes anyone uncomfortable, you have been forewarned. Um, (laughs) But the best way I can describe it is that there was this thin veil of hobbies and school and art and things that I loved covering just a whirlwind and tsunami and deep dark hole of just tears and hurt and and pain, really. Um, Yeah, yeah. I had hobbies. I loved, loved art and anything creative. Like, a good colour pencil, like, that was my jam. Like, (laughs) (laughs) loved, loved colouring, loved drawing really was drawn to birds for some reason, not really too sure why, but anyway. Um, I also did martial arts growing up, and I loved fantasy and dressing up and kind of being in a whole other world. That whole um, imagination side was so captivating for me. So those were my hobbies. Um, I remember also growing up as the quote-unquote sensitive kid (laughs) – I'm sure as mm-hmm. most of us with BPD if we have any siblings. Um, so I grew up in a like semi-traditional Chinese home, and with my mom and my two sisters. So I remember just being called the sensitive kid, the baby, and you know she's got a very soft heart. I also remember growing growing up with a speech impediment. Probably can't tell now because I just okay. like yabber on, but I used to stammer my butt of like you best believe I could not say my name like Mm. like for real (laughs) and it wasn't until I got into like work and sales where I actually had to be like okay I have to say my name but people don't know who you are (laughs) but um Mm -hmm. I had a speech impediment growing up so that's kind of me as a little girl but I remember being bullied a lot a lot a lot a lot by my older sister and it went from Verbal abuse all the way Mm -hmm. up to physical on like a daily basis from the ages of like six to 16. So with the things she would say, it would go from my appearance, like, can I give you plastic surgery tips? You look really fat and disgusting. Why are your arms so fat? Um, you're sad. Your, Your lips look quote, sad and miserable. Um, she would like poke my my like skin and everything like that To, I remember one time she banned me from sitting at the Christmas table because I was shy and I had a speech impediment so I wasn't very outgoing and so Mm. I remember at Christmas she told me that I couldn't sit with the family because I was a loser she told me that I was a loser and I couldn't sit with my family at christmas oh my goodness and it's horrible yeah (laughs) like it gets worse or better depending on how you want to frame it (laughs) but Mm -hmm. it was those kind of stuff those kind of things that i heard almost every single day it doesn't matter what i did who i was it just wasn't good enough and she made sure that i knew it
0: i remember one
1: time she because we all learned martial arts and my twin and I were green belts. I mean, like, there were little green belts. Like, we weren't, like, beginner, but we had a little something. And she had her black belt. <laughs> <laughs> she had a black belt. And I was like, that was, like, so awesome. But I remember, like, after copying all of this, you know, this abuse that she would throw at me with her words, I was like, not, not anymore. I'm going to stand up for myself. And so I did. And I remember she grabbed my left arm And she had me in a thumb handle grip and she twisted my wrist until it almost broke. Wow. And for me, that was really scary because like feeling your wrist joints pop out. is never fun for anyone, but she let (laughs) go. No, definitely not. But she let go just as it was about to break because she knew that if it wasn't broken, she couldn't get in trouble. And that was the first time where I really felt unsafe in my own home is that we were learning martial arts as a self-defense you know as women we need to be careful and this was a self-empowering tool and that was used against me when I was about 12 or so yeah and that was that was really really scary so like probably wondering like where were your parents Um, I I was was gonna ask yeah (laughs) what did your
0: I mean because even the Christmas table thing you know my first thing is okay well where's your mom and dad Mm -hmm. or even your other sister right because this is happening so it's you and your twin sister and then Mm -hmm. your older sister is the one who's you know the being violent right yes
1: or abusive Mm -hmm. yeah so tell us where were the people that were supposed to be protecting you my younger twin was I honestly think she was more scared than I was and I think she she definitely sided with my older sister. And I don't blame her for that because, you know, if you can't beat them, join them, right? So she was more terrified than I was. So I definitely think to protect herself, she would join her to gang up on me. And mm-hmm. I, I noticed that pattern. It was my older sister picking and choosing out of, you know, out of us which one was going to be her punching bag for the day. And with wow. my younger twin, I guess always citing her, she was never the victim. Um, My parents didn't know much about this and when I did tell them about it, they they didn't quite understand and we can get into this later but I believe that they were very ill-equipped to handle the conflict and a lot of Different dynamics and a lot of issues, underlying issues going on that they, they didn't understand. So, when I would tell oh. my parents, like, I am depressed because XYZ, I'm getting bullied in my own home, I don't feel safe, they would perceive that as me being ungrateful. So, they would be like, You know, how can you be depressed? You have a roof over your head, you have food on the table, there are children starving here and here you're not grateful and because you're not grateful you're disrespecting us and because you're disrespecting us that's not okay and what they would do a lot of the time not only to shut down conflict although I think that's what the main reason why but they would they would beat us
0: oh wow okay
1: yeah so it was anything from like hands to metal hangers To leather belts, to my own fairy one, by the way. (laughs) Um, Oh, yeah! Like it was my favorite fairy one. Don't know, like, not cool. To (laughs) a variety of canes. There was plastic. There was bamboo. And the fact that I know this is like, you know, it was pretty scary. That yeah, yeah. So, all in all, it was a very, very scary childhood growing up I remember feeling very alone and you know if if we're gonna go there I felt like I really wanted to not be here to not live anymore and that I wanted to die it's very heavy but I think we need to talk about it you know how old
0: were you when you remember thinking that do you
1: 13 12 13, yeah, that's really rough, of
0: course. Because how old is your older sister, like, year gap? I mean, how four many years? Four years. So your sister had been beaten this way treated this way by your parents. You didn't really have the tools for four years prior to you being born. So that mm-hmm. sounds like your sister learned how to relate to people by doing what your parents did. So you have not mm-hmm. only a mother and a father who are dismissing you, invalidating you, beating you but also a sister Mm -hmm. who is beating you. So you have no one.
1: Exactly. I had absolutely no one. And I think for me, feeling there's a difference between being alone and feeling lonely and loneliness is the most painful emotion I believe that anyone could feel. And that's how I felt a lot of the time growing up and, you know, the research shows that suicide rate for B- for people with BPD is 1 in 10. Yeah. So it's definitely something we need to talk about. And, you know, it wasn't a, a happy childhood, but we need to talk about it because this stuff happens. All
0: the time. And it, it's interesting because I think, you know, you do have a twin sister and you do have an older sister. So, you know, maybe do either one of those have them have BPD?
1: No, not no. not that I know. Um, no. Mental health, even till this day in my family, is something that we don't openly discuss. It's definitely changing now, but in terms of diagnosis, mm-hmm. we're not quite there. Like, at this point, we'll ask how everyone's doing, which, right. is, which is a step in the right direction. But <laughs> <laughs> in terms of diagnosis, not quite there. But if someone is diagnosed, I will let you know. Yeah, but it's interesting because you know, all these things that ha all the
0: things that happen to you obviously, we're all listening. Um, people out there listening, they can understand just how horrible that is because having that yeah. hyperbolic temperament I mean, it's not only are you alone, but when you have you're born highly sensitive, you don't have the same resiliency skills as someone who wasn't born highly sensitive. So, there's n- not only are you going through these traumatic things, but there's no light. There's no – there's nothing. It's just a very, very dark place, and it's, you know, even more lonely, right? It's hyperbolic loneliness, which is horrible to feel.
1: Absolutely. And trauma is subjective, you know. Yeah. My twin and I could have gone through the same beating, and it could have scarred me for life. But, you know, a week later, she'd she's like, oh, get over it. And I'm like, no, I can't get over it. I don't see how you're getting over it. But that's it. It's a difference in, in temperament and how you – perceive and how you process events that are very different
0: yeah absolutely that's it's huge for people to hear that and understand that it's you're not you know the only one who's had this experience with siblings siblings who you know you guys are all beaten the same way you're all treated the same way but you come out it seems like right on the surface because it's not really talked about but it does seem like you're the one who came out of that with this mental illness, which is really mm-hmm. disheartening because it adds a whole other layer of pain, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. Yeah, that black sheep mentality.
1: hmm
0: Yeah. So is there... Um, I'm wondering if some of the stuff that happened in your family, if that has anything to do with Chinese culture or Asian, Asian culture, and if you think that that contributed Mm. to the development of your VPD?
1: Mm, Absolutely. Uh, Before I get into it, I just want to have a disclaimer. I'm definitely not like an accurate representation of a traditional Chinese home. I was born and raised in Perth and I went to a predominantly white school and I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood and I had white friends. So in terms of being a (laughs) You know, like <laughs> what, what I say is gospel, uh-uh, like that's not it. <laughs> but right. what I can give you is more of that half-half kind of culture. So what it was like having um, ch- like a Chinese family. So my grandparents were Chinese. My s- parents were Singaporean and I was born in, in Perth. So in terms of being in that, you know, white and Chinese culture, that, that I can speak on okay yeah so I guess we kind of talked about it in the previous question a little bit in saying that my parents were not equipped and they didn't openly discuss mental health but I do want to point out I think something that really sticks out to me is the love language and it's a whole like thing that's going on right now understanding what Your partners or family members or friends' love language is. Yeah. (laughs) That's
0: so funny, isn't it? Right? You can ask literally, I feel like anyone and be like, What's
1: your love language?
0: Yeah. Oh, gifts, words of affirmation. He's not meeting my words of affirmation. Yeah.
1: It's like this this new thing of like instead of asking like what's your star sign, it's like what's your love language exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But for like anyone that doesn't really know what your love language is, it's kind of this way of how mm-hmm. you ideally want to give and receive love. So there are five different love languages. There's gifts. There's words. There's acts of service. Um, my mind's going blank time time spent quality
0: time and quality time
1: yeah yes is that
0: five I'm pretty yeah that's five
1: (laughs) sorry I'm like (laughs) nervous speaking so like my mind goes blank sometimes um so yes so my love languages are physical touch and words so I love like mushy love letters like hugs kisses all that kind of stuff like you best believe if it's your birthday I'm gonna be writing you the most heartfelt card with like two pages on it of like how much I love you. That is, that's, that's me. But (laughs) in terms of my family's love language, and I think perhaps Chinese, I guess, you know, way of showing love is acts of service. So, you know, I never had to worry about making my lunch or, doing my laundry or catching the bus it was none of that um I think also acts of service includes food so for some Mm -hmm. reason it was always like if like how they would show love is like do you want me to cut you some fruit (laughs) that was their way of like showing love but What I needed was words. I needed a hug. I needed you to tell me that you loved me. And that just was never given to me. It's not that they didn't love me. It's just how they were communicating that was not received. So the message was sent, but not delivered, not received. If that makes sense? So I think when I was feeling really alone, you know, going through all that trauma and abuse from my older sister, and I went to my parents and then they would beat me and then like present me like cut mango. It just (laughs) like, it just didn't, it didn't make sense. And so like, I wish I could see it, you know, back then I would have definitely felt like, okay, even though it's not quite how I want it, I definitely know that I am loved, but when you're in that state, you just can't see it. So definitely I think that contributed to the development of, of BPD for me. And, you know, I think I want to make it very clear that this is just my family. This is just my experience. I have sure. a family sure. friend that's grown up in, in Taiwan where, yes, the junior respects the senior, but the senior is also obligated to take care of the junior. So it's a reciprocal fashion. You know, I clearly didn't get that, but that's just my experience. So I'm not saying that all, oh, you know, culture is bad and, this and that we need to consider the environment that isn't validating to who we are
0: right right can happen
1: in any household it can happen in europe it can happen you know in any other country it doesn't have to be specifically a chinese house household or a japanese household it can Mm -hmm. but it's not you know the be all end all right yeah absolutely well there is something to be said though about
0: mental illness being hush hush in a specific culture like in Uh a culture let's say or in a traditional chinese household maybe it's you know an american or australian or what have you that really doesn't matter but it's you know knowing that mental illness or mental health isn't talked about and then also pairing that with this pretty extreme form of discipline and very high expectations right which is something that is pretty prominent in the culture wouldn't you agree Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And um, when I went to Japan, I'm not sure what the statistics are, but um, not too long ago, I went to Japan and I found out that Japan has one of the highest suicide rates in the world. And I remember catching the train and, you know, my friend was telling me, unfortunately, a common way that people end their life is by jumping in front of a train. And you know what I saw instead of like, a sign saying, like, are you okay? Please call this hotline. You know, your life matters. There was none of that. I saw a gate in front of the train that was, like, three, four feet high so that you couldn't jump over it. Wow. Yeah. And, like, you know, growing up in this Western society, we are like, what? That's ridiculous. Like, how how can that kind of exist? But that's because we've been you know talk growing up that mental health matters but in in a country where you know if you go to a to a psychologist and your diagnosis is written on there that goes on your CV which goes to your employer which affects your job which affects your income which affects oh, wow. if you can eat for the night yeah so there's a reason yeah absolutely i agree that you know culture definitely is is a big big factor yeah I mean that's such a huge that's
0: such a great point you know I don't even it being here especially like me being an american I'll laugh about this a lot with my international clients like it's interesting how a lot of the struggles that people it, throughout the world go through don't even really cross your mind right like you just made a good point you Mm. said that people in japan if they are diagnosed with a mental illness that goes on their cv and i think like if that was something that happened here then i never would have gotten help for anything i wouldn't have been i I might not have even been so like apt to love residential eating (laughs) disorder facilities because (laughs) i wouldn't have wanted that on my cv
1: being a psychologist right like yeah man that's that's a big deal yeah and it's like shame it's like you're weak and it's like it's already hard enough to reach out in a in a society where it's safer you know there's not as much stigma in compared to different cultures but yeah I agree 100% like if if that was going on my CV like everything's fine I'm totally fine absolutely without a (laughs) doubt
0: fine (laughs) yeah right so that
1: so we have that there's
0: this like mental illness isn't talked about and the, and your parents pass that down. Well, your grandparents and your great grandparents sort of pass that down generationally. Right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. So then you going out and seeking help makes it even more difficult. It's, you know, it's really interesting. Is there anything else that you wanted to say about, you know, living, you have your culture and how it impacted the
1: development of your personality disorder? I do remember begging my parents to see a psychologist and to get help. And I remember my mom specifically never asking how my sessions were or never asking if, if I was okay. And that was really rough because I was a lot closer to my mom than I was my dad. And of what limited support I had in my family, she was the only one. So for her to not ask or, you know, not openly show that she was invested, she would drive me to to mm-hmm. and, and from and pay. So that was the acts of service, but the words was really just non-existent. And I remember having a diagnosis of BPD and explaining, you know, the ups and downs and, I remember and like bless her heart she she knows better now but she was like oh yeah so it's just kind of when you get like PMS and you're like on your period right <laughs> and
0: I was like
1: no 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 no, she's like yeah I have like you know when my mood goes up and down too like you know everyone has has mood swings right and I'm like <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's not it like good try but that was definitely way off and I think it's hard because when you are trying to advocate, you know, for yourself and you're trying to educate the people that mean a lot to you, but you're already in a place of pain and you're vulnerable. It's hard to not even like just get out of that place of pain, but then to go on and advocate for your right to be heard and for your for right. your me- mental health needs to be met. That takes, you know, a lot out of you and i just remember being like, if I'm not gonna stop the cycle, who will? Right,
0: exactly. Yeah. I mean, how that that process or that journey is even more difficult because you mm-hmm. had no one teaching you how to do that. So the way that they taught you love and the way that you experienced love, there was a breakdown in that communication because you mm-hmm. really weren't feeling it. So because you spent so much of your childhood trying to you know get rid of that deep dark feeling of loneliness to escape your sister to figure out your place in the world you Uh didn't have a lot of great time spent learning life skills
1: yeah yeah like how do I
0: advocate for myself how do I you know engage in like quote-unquote normal behavior you couldn't do any of that because you were living a life of like survival right
1: yeah like even something like how to have a conversation where even though you're upset you don't have a full-on meltdown like how to essentially like keep your shit together yeah <laughs> I, that was a skill that I didn't learn until like a year ago so yeah absolutely
0: <laughs> I mean you can laugh
1: about it because I mean
0: it's not funny right you had this really tra- uh, traumatic childhood and you know like it's not funny but you, know, you look at the behaviors that you engage in because
1: of what yeah. you went through.
0: And if you don't laugh, you know, what's the alternative, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. All right. What were some of the initial treatments you tried and what were they like? Sort of like
1: going into this conversation about what that therapy was like for you, mm-hmm. whether it mm-hmm. helped, right? Um, so I guess I want to tackle this question on things I did pre-diagnosis and then post-diagnosis and then what worked and what didn't so for me the first big change in how I saw myself and how my mental health changed was fitness so you and Jay talk about you know how important fitness is and moving your body and how that changes the chemicals in your brain and all these awesome things I had no idea what any of that was. Now that I have my personal training qualifications myself, I get it. <laughs> but nice. I didn't know yeah. that back then. All I knew is that my mom had this DVD called Insanity. And I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's a at-home workout program where it's high-intensity work
0: mm-hmm. for
1: three minutes on and 30 seconds off. And you're like, oh, it's not that bad, but it was like absolute madness. It was like the reason why it's called insanity is because I've never heard of uh, a plyometric push-up, which is essentially a push-up with a jumping yep. component. Like, like if that even exists, okay, it was in there, <laughs> and it was just brutal. But what that taught me is that it taught me to work hard and to push myself, and you know, building that confidence. Building that confidence through competence, right? If I can do a plyometric push-up, I can stand up to my sister. I can give that speech in class, even though I'm going to stutter my butt off. Like, I can do it. Right. And it also taught me that self-respect. You know, I can do the hard things. I give myself credit for doing the hard things. And I think above all else, it taught me that I can turn pain into Mm -hmm. power.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that that's was
1: game-changing for me, turning pain into power. Absolutely. That was, yeah. So that was the first, I guess, part. And around that time, I started to get into counselling. And, you know, I would recommend counselling to anyone and everyone. Doesn't matter what you're going through. Life's good. Not Life's not so good. Counsellors are awesome. Um, in... Perth or in Australia, we have helplines, specifically one called Kids Helpline. And it's a free and confidential service for young people age 5 to 25. And you can have counselling sessions over the phone or you can have a a web chat or anything like that. And I remember calling the phone because, you know, I think for me just talking about it was more... I got more out of it versus just typing, you know, you can hear someone's voice, you can say more. I could definitely talk quicker than I could type. So it was just more helpful for me. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure my mom heard me on the phone to like a counselor and she was like kind of worried because I was talking to strangers on the internet. She was like, who is this? I swear. (laughs) I'm not, you know, (laughs) talking to creeps. I was just getting help. So (laughs) they were really helpful because They were professionals. They were trained to handle with what I was feeling and the mess that I brought to the table, essentially. They were unbiased as well. So they weren't emotionally involved in me or my family, didn't know anyone personally. So they could really give, I guess, a more objective opinion, which was really helpful. And it was free. So it made things really accessible and they were available 24-7. So I was very lucky to have that kind of service.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. That's really incredible. So that was, it's not like traditional counseling. It's like you could call whenever you needed them kind of thing.
1: Yeah. And you could have your regular counselor and I still use them today. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm 21 and I have a regular (laughs) counselor. I talk to her once a week and, you know, it doesn't have to be like this huge like cathartic session, although it can be, it can just be like, I've had a rough day or like I've had a really good day or you just want advice so yeah I I think I think it's awesome getting therapy and getting counseling is cool (laughs) yeah
0: yeah, for sure right I love the fitness part of it though because it's something that people will either radically accept or radically argue against so I had somebody say to me a couple of sessions ago i want to say like end of last week they were like so uh what did you do to cope? And I was like, you know, I said some of the things I did, but mainly like all I do now is I'll just do fitness stuff. Cause like you said, Mm -hmm. you can transform that pain into power. And the individual was like, so you just exercise then that's it. And I was like, well, (laughs) yeah, you know, when you have this experience, like you and I had that same experience. So for you, it was the plyometric push-up. I mean, for me, it was the 10,000 kettlebell swing program. Mm -hmm. So it's this, What people don't realize, and I didn't realize it, and you didn't realize it either, is that when you embark on a journey to do something fitness-y, no matter what it is, you are practicing being competent because you are learning that you can trust your physical body, that you are capable. And it's much easier to be Mm -hmm. capable with exercise than it is with emotions. So Absolutely. I always tell somebody, right? Why wouldn't yes. you
1: start there? It's so yes. much easier
0: to walk around the block than it is to tame a tantrum.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I also like to think of it in a way of, like, listen, no matter what you're going through, you need to be grateful for your body, you know, even though yeah. you've wanted to end it or things have gone so wrong. Your body, your heart, your lungs, your everything has worked so hard to keep you alive today you need to be grateful for it you know work out Mm -hmm. because you can not because you have to you know your body's worked so hard to keep you here with us with all of us here today the least you can do is move it you know stretch it you know challenge it take care of it because what you put in is what you will what you will get out
0: yeah, absolutely. And there's, you know, we're not just emotional beings. We are mm-hmm. physical beings too. And it's like, as if, you know, when you're in the middle of an episode, you take your brain outside of your body mm-hmm. and you can just kind of live that way. Just live in your brain. It's just not possible. Everything works together. So recognizing that sometimes excess anxiety or not being able to sleep at night is just this lack of taking care of the one body that we've been given is so huge. And I it. know mm-hmm. I just wanted to like Pause there because the fact that you said that is just it's powerful and it is exercise is really important and counseling and coaching helplines mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. good
0: people around you those two things are going to be really key so if you're out there listening and you still haven't jumped on the exercise bandwagon
1: get, know, on just it. Try it. <laughs> get on it get
0: on it yeah 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 you say i'm
1: always so <laughs> get on it and like Also, you know, it's so important because like what you were saying, we only have one body. We only have one brain and, you know, one physical being unless you're some sort of wizard and you've managed to like switch brains and body like that would be a whole other kind of thing. Anyway, um, but yeah, we only have one body and one brain and we're going to be in it until we die. You know, you go to sleep and wake up with it the least that you can do is have your own body as your home. That probably sounds really like woo-woo, but (laughs) I really see it, you know, the whole world, especially when I was, you know, in the throes of BPD, when I really felt like the world was against me, my safe place was myself Mm -hmm. and having your own back, you know, being able to hold your own hand and walk Mm -hmm. yourself through taking care of yourself You know, taking yourself out of bed, get out of bed, shower, brush your teeth. That's you showing up for yourself. That's you taking care of yourself. That's you showing yourself like, you know, even if no one is out there to take care of you, you will take care of you. And that's the only person you really can depend on. You know, life happens. Something can happen to, to your loved one. We don't know. But you need to have your own back forever and always
0: that's right you need to take yourself
1: seriously (laughs) right exactly And I've been saying this a lot lately too
0: like that people that come work with me they don't take themselves seriously they don't look at themselves as like as somebody who's worthy or who should do the right thing for themselves it's always about everyone else right like take yourself seriously make a choice Mm -hmm. to Go to a counselor, to walk, to eat healthy food because you deserve that as an, a functioning, active adult in the world, right? Like that, the yeah. alternative, the antidote to the deep, dark, depressive hole that you're in is the exact opposite of deep darkness. It's light, it's taking care of yourself, it's going
1: outside, it's talking to people for
0: sure. Yeah. But it's
1: really powerful. I kind of want to add on on that point in that, like, yes, it's life, but it's also really like uncomfortable and especially something that I've been working on lately is being vulnerable and being able to trust myself and other people that I can openly share. You know, if I'm really not having a good day, I can say that I'm not having a good day or say Mm -hmm. how I'm really feeling and that being vulnerable, I kind of equate it to, going to the beach or in a really cold pool and you like dip your toe and you're like oh (laughs) and then you like kind of sink in, you're like I hate it 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 and then you like it gets up to your chest and you're like oh my gosh I hate it I hate it I hate it it, it. it's so bad (laughs) but then you sink in and you you get acclimatized to it and you realize the world doesn't end you're like oh this is actually not that bad and then you go for a paddle and you go for a swim and you're like I'm glad I did that
0: yeah, exactly. That is, <laughs> honestly, there are days where that metaphor, analogy, whatever, is exactly what goes through my own mind when I want to work out or when I'm gonna work out. Like it, yeah. I just do it, you know. I, it's not a perfect process. It's not gonna look that every time you're not going to jump out of bed and be like, yeah, today's the day. Yeah, let's do
1: burpees. (laughs) (laughs) Like, even as like a PT, like I just want to get this out loud and clear. We are not perfect, okay? I was working in a high performance, you know, training center. We had baseball players and footy players come all around the world to train with us. But till this day, sometimes I'm like, girl, (laughs) I'm just really not feeling it. I'm yeah. not feeling it. And that's okay, you know, and something that I always try to incorporate in my workouts. My number one workout rule is to make it fun, you know? Yep. Like, I know I can't dance. I look like I'm being zapped or tasered. <laughs> but Same. I do it because, <laughs> because it's fun and, you know, it gets me moving and I get to enjoy music and then turn up it and you turn the music up really loud and you just enjoy yourself. And before you know it, you're sweating and you feel good and you're doing your body good. And, you know, when you think about it, like logistically, how you get results is, you know, putting in sessions over time. And that is consistency. And the, the biggest thing for me, consistency wise is having that intrinsic motivation to do it. And how that intrinsic motive, uh, how that comes about is by enjoying it. So Either way, enjoying your workouts is a win-win, which, you know, life is too short. We don't got time to not enjoy working out unless you dig that kind of thing, then do you. But for <laughs> me, yeah. it's definitely a big part of it is just enjoying it. And, you know, I like to equate self-care with enjoying. And, you know, some of the things we talk about in terms of the podcast of drinking water and eating veggies, it's like, ew, I don't want to do that. And, but you know, it's, it's self-care. So, you know, it's one aspect of self-care, I really like to tie it into something enjoyable. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, recovery is this, it's not just, um, like doing a bunch of skills or, you know, someone posted in the group that, The other day, that like CBT isn't working for them, and that you know they're pretty sure that they have bipolar disorder because CBT is just a load of crap, you know. And it's like, listen, DBT, CBT, going to your coach once a week, your counselor once a week like, those things are awesome,
1: but there is no
0: magic wand but the wand that's within you, your control, and you taking back control and learning absolutely. Yeah. That is the thing that creates recovery so you have to look at your whole yeah. life like your lifestyle, right? No,
1: that's it. Like you are the one. Like you have to be the one. <laughs> like yeah. absolutely. That's 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 it. Um I also want to talk about um self-help books and how that really really helped me. I think mm-hmm. self-help books get a really bad reputation like oh, you read self-help books and I'm like, yeah, you don't. <laughs> They're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, you know, a lot of like the mentors and coaches that I have now aren't someone that I that I book in. Oh, get it, like book anyway, sorry. L- ones that I book in <laughs> once a week. They're the people that have written these these books that I bought for like twenty dollars on sale somewhere or somewhere that I had looked up, you know, really, really helpful books and saved up and bought, and I have them, you know. On, on my bookshelf and I reread them again and again and again. The first time is to learn about the strategies and then the second time is to consolidate it. And then the third time is just to reference to whatever I need. But yep. that was, these were the people that I turned to, you know, these amazing people of researchers and motivational speakers, or just people that have gone through really tough, stuff and share their stories are in this book all their little golden nuggets of lessons they've learned are condensed in this one book so in terms of getting help you don't always need to drop all this money on on a specialist but you know sometimes if if the books can't provide that for you but in terms of just getting started these books were what saved me when I was undiagnosed you know um right a couple books were mindset by carol dweck can't hurt me by david goggins yo david goggins no. was so good if, if there was a shirt yes. with his face on it i would so buy it <laughs> he david was goggins
0: is an incredible human if you don't know who david goggins is because you're reading walking on eggshells alicia tell everybody else everybody what book again that they should be reading that has nothing to do with bpd can't hurt
1: me can't hurt me guys get it like sell it out it is he is the epitome of turning pain into power and he has just gone through hell and back a hundred times over and then like made hell like his little you know bitch (laughs) (laughs) essentially he's just he's used the pain as as fuel as a platform to springboard his life into into fulfillment into contentment into peace you know like we can talk about success of like money but in his eyes of how he describes it of he is just able to live a peaceful and happy life, and it, you know, isn't that what we all want? I feel like I'm not doing the book justice. I'm sorry, David Goggins, if you're listening to this.
0: <laughs> but no, that's that just because we're hyperbolic, right? But we, yes, I mean, yes that's what no, I'm doing, that's like what you're
1: doing right now, he you is, and I right now are doing. Right he now. is awesome, and he has like actual tips and strategies that he himself has used, and you can adopt. The things that that he's learned, and it is just, and those things stay with you forever. You know, it was uh, the book I think was 40 bucks, I think, here in in Australia, but that 40 bucks is the best I've ever spent in many, many, many years. And um, another book was Extreme Accountability by Jocko Willink. That one was really good. Yeah, he reminds me of you a lot. (laughs) And he's just like, no BS, straight to the point. And something that he really, you know, preaches is that everything in your life is your fault. And that obviously is an exaggeration. But when you look at all the good things that have happened in your life and all the bad things that have happened in your life, the common denominator is you. Therefore, you have the power to change and change the outcomes that that you experience. And that was like, like mind blowing. That was awesome. Absolutely, Um, mind blowing. Yeah, and Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. She's just awesome, you know, the power of being vulnerable and embracing who you are, temperament and all, weirdness and all. It was just very, very (laughs) reassuring that you are enough, period mic drop that's it no more ifs ands or buts you are yeah. enough that is <clears throat> and that was awesome
0: yeah those are awesome book references we can um repeat i'm just going to have you repeat those and then we're actually going to wrap up for today so i yeah. wanted to do a two part episode with alicia because alicia has a lot to say so we heard a little bit <laughs> about your background yeah and no, that's great we heard about your background you know we heard about know that some of the things that you did pre and post diagnosis and what worked for you and I really Mm -hmm. want to get into that more in depth next week in our next session but you know I really if you're out there I've had a lot of people ask me what books do you recommend I've recommended books by Jocko Willink I've recommended books by Mark Devine who are these Navy SEAL guys right and Mm -hmm. here we have Alicia is recommending Mindset Can't Hurt Me extreme accountability she's recommending this Brene Brown book as well which I'm sure you know a lot of people probably heard of so one thing that we have in common as a theme with all of the books that I've recommended that Alicia's recommended is that they have nothing to do with what BPD BPD because if you want to recover from BPD you need to look outside of the bpd community unfortunately and you need to look to people who are being strong people who are no bs if you listen to the podcast and you like what i have to say or you like what alicia's saying right now it's because i'm giving truth and it's different than what you've heard before so go away from walking on eggshells and you know um what's the buddha and the borderline yeah yeah I respect those books. I'm not laughing at them, but I'm more laughing at myself reading them because I wasn't trying to get better when I read Buddha in the Borderline.
1: (laughs) And I think it's also (laughs) just recognizing you are more than a diagnosis. Yes. At a point you will be more than just your whole world is BPD and splitting and favorite person. And there's a whole world out there. Like, it yep. is insane, you know, how much of a world that you can explore mm-hmm. and how much life becomes an adventure when you, you know, see yourself as you and that comes from forming your moral compass and building, you know, your identity. So jump on it. <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. That's Amazing. Thank you
0: so much, Alicia. Until next week. Are you feeling lost, frustrated, or resentment towards your loved ones, your friends, your family, your partner, your kids? Are you looking for online counseling or mindset and life coaching because of this pandemic? go ahead and check out thriveonlinecounseling.com. Again, that's thriveonlinecounseling.com. We offer secure, convenient, and confidential telehealth sessions. You can schedule your free initial consult right online or even pay for your first 60-minute individual session. Give us a call at 1-844-984-7483 if you have any questions at all. Let us be a part of your recovery journey. Okay, thanks for listening. That was from Borderline and Beautiful, a production of Thrive Mind Body LLC, online coaching that helps frustrated individuals, resentful couples, and disconnected families navigate through tough times. Visit us on the web at thriveonlinecounseling.com. If you like this show, remember, you can hear it on Anchor or Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or any app that you use to listen to podcasts. Subscribe to get a new episode every Monday. If you want to get in touch, you can leave me a voice message. Some of you had some comments and questions from the last episodes, and I'd love to hear whatever questions you have, too. Just download the Anchor mobile app, search for From Borderline to Beautiful, and tap the message button to send me a voice message. We'll have all those links in the show description. Okay, we made it. Thanks again for listening. I'm Rose Skeeters, and I'll be back next week with another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. Talk to you then.